Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me is Brian Gottlieb, and we have our first tournament with Corset 2020 happening this weekend. But first, I think we have to talk a little bit about the Red Bull Untapped event that happened last weekend. Yeah, there's a lot of questions out there, Jerry, and most of them revolve around Yogmoth right now. You showed up in full cosplay, looking fantastic, I might add. Top-notch cosplay work. I'm sure you have many people to thank for that. But tell us how this all came about. Why Yogmoth? How did you end up at the Red Bull Untapped event? What's the deal? It is It is kind of a long story. Basically, the, the short version is that Nissa Cosplay made the entire costume for me with basically like no help from me outside of like, you know, you're in my measurements or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It was, it was basically just like, it would be cool for me to do this at some point. And I was offered an opportunity and there's no chance in hell that I'm going to turn it down because it seems pretty rad. And I am not talented enough to do the cosplay stuff on my own, but I mean, if someone wants to make me an entire badass costume, I'm, I'm kind of in. Plus, you have like the the mascara and the black fingernail polish, and it was just it was back to my high school goth days, you know. So I was in. You got to live out some of those emo fantasies. Feel like you were in My Chemical Romance for a second. I, I get it. Everyone who grew up at our age like has a little bit of that in them, where they just want to put on the mascara, the nail polish, and go to town for one day. You got to live that, and also you got to do so while being one of the premier villains in Magic's history. Yeah, Yagmoth, not a good dude. I read up on <laughs> some of the lore. Just out of curiosity, because it was like, you know, it, if I'm expected to maybe be in character or whatever, what ex- what exactly does that entail? Turns out uh, it's a bunch of bad stuff. And I <laughs> I felt a little bit cringy putting on the Yawgmoth cosplay, not going to lie, because like I said, he is a very bad dude. And I just decided to be myself rather than try to get into character. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot to take on. I mean, you're basically a full-blown actor at that point. And while I know you're extremely talented and I feel like basically any task you were presented with, you'll work at it and figure out a way to do it. No acting experience in your background, right? Not something you've ever taken on before. No, no. I mean, I, I tried to do walking the planes intro at one point and mm-hmm. I could tell that Nate Holt was just getting frustrated by my terrible <laughs> acting skill. And yeah. it's, I, I was trying, I was trying so hard, but it's not easy, man. Acting's tough. It's definitely a skill, and uh, it's it's something that you don't realize how difficult it is until you attempt to do it. I remember I had to do – this is a really weird thing, but I, I had to do like a skit in law school for Constitution Day or something. It was really dumb, and I was put in charge of it because of my role with the Law Review, and it was really the first time I did like any script acting – and I was horrible at it. Just couldn't do it whatsoever. Felt extremely uncomfortable the entire time. It's tough, man. I, I don't think actors get enough credit, actually. No. And I, I, I don't know, man. I I think that, like you said, I'm capable of doing most things if I have the right sort of framework and everything and people explain to me how it's supposed to be done and, and how I'm supposed to go about doing it. Like I can usually figure out how to do it to the best of my ability. And I think acting and Maybe to a lesser degree, just like, you know, making a costume. Like these are just things that I'm bad at. Mm. I think I could do voice acting. It's something about my body and like having to show expression, move my hands around. That makes me very uncomfortable. But if it was just voice acting, I feel like I could probably do that. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It's still 
still very skeptical. But yeah, uh, Red Bull kind of took a dive into the world of Magic Esports and ran a couple couple paper tournament qualifiers that feed into a finals in London in a few weeks. And I think I'm going to be at the London one too, maybe in cosplay, maybe not. We'll see. Uh, but they also did a couple arena tournaments and it's, it's pretty cool. I got to talk to uh, Chris who works at Red Bull, who was basically the person spearheading this whole thing. And uh, he just had a bunch of awesome things to say about magic. Like he's been a magic fan basically since its inception and he's been pushing for this for quite some time, was super happy to finally actually get it off the ground and everything. And he's interested in doing more stuff, which is certainly very cool. Yeah, awesome news for Magic. Happy to have Red Bull involved in the space. And it seemed like everyone who played the tournaments had really positive things to say about them. Certainly our last look at the Bridgevine format. I guess we have to mention that, right? It would be very strange to do this show and not talk about the fact that Bridge From Below is banned now. And it's not that strange, right? It's definitely strange. That's like the big news in Magic. I mean, I guess we kind of guessed it was coming and that has blunted its impact a little bit. But there were still doubters, people who thought maybe the deck could stand uh, or should stand as it was. But with the Mythic Championship coming up, I certainly support the decision to axe Bridge from below and nip this problem in the bud. Because I just don't understand. I feel like anyone who was arguing in favor of just leaving the format as is. And there were people doing that, much to my surprise. It just felt like they hadn't played with her against the deck and didn't really know what it was capable of. I, I really didn't even care what kind of matchup win rates it returned, although they were preposterous, like converting to day two at greater than 50% of the rest of the field when there was the Magic Fest down in Dallas. And, you know, we saw certainly good conversion at the SCG events as well. But beyond all that, just watching the deck play, very silly deck, very happy it no longer exists as a whole. Agreed. I, I also want to point out that a lot of people there were like, oh, yeah, this deck is fine. All you have to do is play like three main deck, three main <laughs> right. deck graveyard hate cards, sideboard another like five or six and you're fine. And it's like, why would you want the format to just have that constraint? Yeah, just doesn't make any sense to me. So is the deck going to exist in some functionality without Bridge from Below? Yeah, probably. But it's not going to be the same like, oh, you have to main deck surgicals and Nile Spell Bombs unless you actually want to. Right. Definitely a good shift for the format, for sure. Not what you want your entire format to be focused on. Right. So good news. Bridge is yep. gone. The MC should be a little bit more exciting at this point, although I think the format for the most part is going to go back to how it was uh, maybe around MC London. But with the caveat of having modern horizons in the format. So now we'll see if that format can actually produce something too, because it never really got a chance to shine because of all of the spotlight being on Hogak and the fact that you couldn't really play any of the like fun decks that are present in modern horizons when that deck was like 20, 25% of the field. Yeah. I think it's an interesting question because there's, to me, two big existing constraints that hold over on the format. The first being, is it Phoenix still just being completely fine, completely reasonable deck? One that just garnered a pretty huge upgrade in the form of Aria Flame. And the other constraint now with Bridgevine out of the picture continues to be big mana. We come back around to that place where like, you have to ask the question about Tron and Amulet and those type of strategies. And even Scapeshift, if you want to throw it into that whole grouping. So in the face of those two poles... 
can Modern Horizons find some space to shine in the middle? We've seen Ren and Six kind of go bonkers and show up everywhere uh, in Jun decks, which are starting to reclaim some metagame share. Not something I think people were anticipating, but if those decks can find a way to compete, even outside of the Bridgevine meta, maybe that shakes things up for London. Yeah, I wouldn't be too surprised. So no matter what, I think London and Barcelona are going to look eh, maybe like 30% different. Uh, which to me for modern, I think is good. Enough. Big change. I think that, that's that a is, big change. That's a good place to be. Yeah, I agree with you. When a format has that deep of a card pool, getting 30% of the field to change, pretty dramatic impact. Oh, yeah. So anyway, SCG Wusta is coming up this weekend. Are you doing commentary? No, I am off for the month of July. Uh, my next show isn't until August and Richmond. Taking it a little easy in July, doing some traveling, have some family visiting. So I, I just kind of awesome. took it off my schedule. A little sad, though, to miss the first Standard Tournament. You and I covered, I think, the last two first weeks of Standard and really yeah. got to see the metagame take shape. And it's an awesome experience, a really fun tournament to be a part of. So I am going to miss that a little bit for sure. Yeah, I mean, honestly, with the release schedule being how it is, and there being like the streamer showcase events and everything, like I think we have a pretty good idea of what's going on in this format already. I think so too, but it's always nice to have some results to bring some definite clarity to the mix. And, you know, whether it's fair or not, if a deck wins a tournament, a bunch of people are going to pick it up every time. And then you start to have your metagame loop cycling. Right now, people can pick up kind of whatever they want. And that fits with our show for today. Because we're talking about what we essentially see as the top eight options going into this tournament. And the fact that there's eight very reasonable options that we're here to discuss means we're dealing with a pretty wide open field at this point. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, this is also not the the end all be all list. There are also no. another eight, eight decks below these and eight decks below those. So absolutely. probably going to be some heavy hitters that uh, exist currently that are not going to be on our top eight. So. Yeah, I think uh, a lot that's of fair. a lot of options. So my article this week is talking about some of these decks, and one of the things that I talk about briefly is how there are complaints about this standard format not being enjoyable. And I recognize that a lot of the play pattern type stuff is not necessarily enjoyable, but regardless, it is wide open. You get to play kind of whatever strategy you do want to play, and. Maybe this standard format is sort of similar to modern where, you know, it's kind of just like this two ships passing the night sort of thing where like you do your thing, they do their thing, we see who wins. Uh, So I totally get that. But at the same time, I think that it's disingenuous to not say that like the standard format is also kind of a win because of how many decks there are. From a deck building perspective, I think it's a slam dunk. I think there's a ton of interesting questions. And like you said, a lot of variety. The play pattern stuff is a complaint. I felt very hard in the first like week I was playing games. And it just felt exactly like you said, let's put our stuff on the battlefield. We'll see who does their thing first. And that's how things are going to go. And a lot of that is a consequence of an unestablished meta and not quite having things figured out. So I've backed away from that criticism a little bit. I still think there exist decks that do have some problematic play patterns that aren't super fun. The hyper snowball-y stuff is just never going to work for me. Like that's yeah. that's not what I want to see in the game of Magic. But I get that there's people who enjoy that type of approach. And there's several decks that have that snowballish feel to them right now. Most of them based around the card Risen Reef, quite frankly, because that card's insane. But 
outside of that, I am starting to find some more games and kind of as decks stepped up from the second tier to be real players, that's where I found good, meaningful ways of interacting with the format and really interesting gameplay. So that criticism is fair and I've made it myself, but I'm starting to step back a little bit from it. Yeah, I mean, I haven't really felt it as much because that's kind of what standard has been to me for a while. Mm-hmm. But the the sideboard hosers change things a little bit, give you a little bit more counterplay. They kind of create their own sorts of problems, too, with protection just being kind of nonsense. But uh, I don't know. For each standard format, I think it is very good for you to take the good with the bad and mostly look at the product as a whole and just be like, okay, this is what it is. Complaining about it won't necessarily change it. If you want to provide feedback to developers or whatever, by all means do that. But like, this is the format as it exists. Your complaining will not change that. Figure out how to thrive in it. Yeah, that's always been the best approach to every format of magic. There's always something you can do. And I think we have eight somethings you can do today. Yeah. So first up, Teamer Flood. And I... Also think it's worth noting that there are a lot of different options for decks that have this sort of shell where mm-hmm. you're playing Llanowar Elves, you're playing Risen Reef, you're playing Nyssa, Cavalier of Thorns. There's a lot of overlap and you're basically just accruing value and trying to do some big crazy endgame thing. And I think Flood of Tears, either with or without Omniscience, is basically where you want to be for this sort of strategy right now. Yeah, it just seems so much better than the other mid-range ed games we were previously seeing. Things like Command the Dread Horde or Mass Manipulation. It, it just kind of trumps both of those, which is a very nice place right. to be. You want to be winning that war. And also, where there's a lot of comes into play triggers on your creatures, like abuse that, lean into that. I saw, I don't remember who it was, someone tweeted that Flood of Tears didn't make a whole lot of sense while River's Rebuke exists. These are such different cards. I don't even understand the comparison. Like rebuying your own stuff is so meaningful. And like River's Rebuke can only work in one direction where you're moving forward and you're trying to reset your opponent's progress. And then you're going to end the game quickly. River of Tears has, or excuse me, Flood of Tears has a, is it, wait, is it River or Flood? Now I've crossed up my own brain. Thank you. Flood of of Tears. River of Tears is the blue black land from Future Sight. Thank you. I knew there was a card that existed that had that name. Flood of Tears has a rebuy mode, which totally changes it from River's Rebuke in combination with Tamiyo, where you can just flood on every turn. And that's the end game point that really invalidates a lot of battlefield presence decks. Like, for instance, the white aggro deck that you and I played at the Invitational, white aggro splashing red. You could never play that deck into a world of Flood of Tears. You're just never going to win a game in a million years because they do have that end game to work towards. And you just getting on the board over and over actually accomplishes zero. It does nothing. And eventually they're going to reach the state as they get more mana off Cavalier, as they get more mana off Risen Reef, where they can start flooding on every single turn and the game is just over. That strategy is good against a bunch of decks right now. Uh, which is why I've found a lot of success with this deck. And as these lists get more refined, especially with the addition of Teamer and getting Omnath, it just feels like you're starting to get game against everyone and you have a real trump in these onboard mirrors, as I call them, where you're just trying to generate as much battlefield presence as quickly as possible. Right. And one of the, the bigger things that you noted is that Flood basically dominates Command the Dread Horde and Mass Manipulation, which I do think is huge. Uh, Nexus of Fate is showing up in some of these lists, 
and mm-hmm. is you know ki- kind of different enough to be its own separate archetype. But I think that is like the one end game that potentially trumps yours. And decks have really yet to adapt to this. We talked about the mono white aggro decks or white aggro splashing red, and they would really need to play something like heroic reinforcements to even have a chance against you now. Right. Yeah, you have to have some haste creature, some form of reach, something to have any kind of game against these flood decks. And again, it feels like a key turning point for me with this archetype was the addition of red. You mentioned the rise of Nexus of Fate. When I was just a Simic flood deck, I was essentially just consenting to scooping that matchup every time. I was never winning. It was awful. And it started showing up in large numbers on the ladder. And I knew something had to change, which was Actually, the first thing that pushed me to red, it, it wasn't Omnath. It was just getting more aggressive options, including something like Cinder Vines, Legion Warboss, Chandra, Six Mana Chandra are all cards which have entered my team or flood deck at this point. And with the addition of those, I think that matchup has gone to a reasonable place where you're pretty happy with, honestly, your matchup against most decks in the format. Being able to keep your elemental engine going while still playing a removal spell on turn honestly, usually turn three in the form of Omnath is really, really big game. You don't take away from that snowball style that these decks are trying to play, but you get some interactivity back. And that's going to be important, especially in mirrors uh, and any kind of disruptive creatures you may face in the future. Yeah. And Omnath is also just a card that going late is just an engine on its own too. And it keeps building your battlefield presence and it just adds so much to the deck. I, I think that there is a world where going back to Simic and playing the two copies of Omniscience and just doing that sort of stuff and focusing on the combo period is a place where you might end up at some point, but we're not there right now. Like People started by building like the best engine that they could, and generally what happens is it's like, okay, this is good, but we need more interaction at some point. So we have to like take out some engine pieces, maybe add a color, change the sideboard. And that's where like all the refining comes in. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I do. Th- I think the teamer is where you want to be right now, but it would not surprise me if people go back to Simic at some point because of the way the metagame shakes out. This deck actually, I, I wish I focused on this a little bit more in my article this week for Star City, which was about teamer flood. And I kind of took things in a more traditional direction and spoke a lot about this deck in general and its sideboarding plans, which is fine. I think that's useful information to convey. But Teamer Flood's evolution is a really good window into how you should approach deck building in week one of a new format. Like its progression was spot on. It was doing the most broken thing possible, pushing it as hard as possible. And the first place we saw that was really Yeoman's deck, which was hard omniscience combo basically with a bunch of permanents that drew cards and just cycling until you get to omniscience, draw your entire deck, win the game on the spot with Jace. Awesome approach, really cool deck building, but not something that is realistic as the format goes on. As anyone does anything in any way to interact with it, it wasn't going to hold up, but it showed what you were capable of. And that's what you want to do in your week one deck building. You take things as far as possible, and then you scale back to the point of interacting with the rest of the format. And once you've scaled back, you ask yourself, is there still a powerful engine in place? Is this deck still good considering what other decks are capable of? And if the answer is yes, you have a real deck. To me, the answer is yes with Team or Flood. I wouldn't be surprised to see this archetype show up in Good numbers. I don't think it's going to be the most played deck or anything like that. Uh, but if people have put in the work on this archetype, they'll be rewarded for it. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, a large 
part of why I like Simic so much now is because of the sideboard cards. And M20 brought a lot of very interesting sideboard cards, ones that, I don't know, are, are kind of busted, I think, and is... It feels nice to have answers to things, but I don't think that this is the right way to go about it necessarily. Things like uh, Ethergust and Fry and uh, Cerulean Drake is like another big one where the the post-board games just feel so different now where it's like, how many sideboard cards did you draw? Like it just dramatically increases your chance of winning. Uh, I think that's a fair criticism. I haven't felt it that much in playing the games. I think I've appreciated having good counterplay options more than just feeling the pinch of, okay, they drew more sideboard cards than I did. But I could certainly see that perception of it as well. I want to note while we're talking about those sideboard cards, because this is a really important point in my evolution of understanding this format. When I started with my Simic Flood decks, my assumption was that you would be able to use Shifting Ceratops as your aggro engine against Nexus and they would just fold to it. To it. Like if I played turn three Shifting Ceratops out of my Simic Flood deck, that would be enough and I would be able to race them along with a little bit of disruption. That's not true. And in fact, Ceratops against Nexus is kind of downright embarrassing. I don't think that plant's actually going to do any work for you whatsoever because you're investing too much and then they just find a fog. And to get on board against Simic Nexus, you need to generate wider battlefield presence, one that expands over time. Something like Legion War Boss is the go-to example I go to every time. It's just the best way to pressure that deck because it scales up and it's doing more and more damage and demands immediate answers, or they basically lose on the spot. Ceratops doesn't have that same type of vibe. And while I think that card is important, I dramatically overestimated how many matchups it was important in. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, I think that there are Teferi decks and Mono Blue Aggro decks where Ceratops is good. It, it's not sure. it's not busted, you know, it doesn't like beat them outright or anything, but I do think it helps those matchups significantly. And I, I think that, yeah, fr- from our deck building from week one to now, I think Ceratops is one of those cards that, that's like, oh yeah, it starts as like a four of, and then it's a three of, and then it's a two of, and it's like, okay, I'm, I'm pretty happy with two. I agree with your findings against Nexus, but I do think that Legion War Boss is very narrow where mm, you are probably going to need something that's a little more versatile, especially since you're going to be playing, what, like 12 red sources? Yeah. No, that's a fair criticism. I guess you had like two Paradise Druids, which I don't have. So you you have a few more red sources than I do. But still, it it, it is kind of awkward at times. I think that War Boss scaling against Nexus is huge because eventually they find like a Biogenic Ooze or a Nissa, like whatever sideboard creature they have. Mm-hmm. And those things tend to brick Ceratops. So if they're just, if they mid game play like Fog, Fog, and then find a bunch of blockers, then it's really tough for you to actually close. I think you just have to be doing other things than just relying on one Ceratops, though. Yeah, absolutely. And again, the addition of Omnath mattered a lot in that context too. Just having a damage source that was not foggable came up quite a few times for me. Also, if you get to combo off with your Omniscience, if you are still playing a copy of Omniscience, the fact that you don't have to use an attack step anymore, another big deal. Yeah, absolutely. And again, like finding those ways to actually break through a you know, pseudo fog lock between Root Snare and Tamiyo in, in that sort of matchup is going to be huge. Mm-hmm. And you, you had like Cinder Vines, you had Legion War Boss to pressure early, but then yeah, having Omnath and potentially like Omnath loops 
going long is pretty nuts. I've had some really crazy loops with these decks and they've been a lot of fun as I piece them out, like drawing your entire deck, putting every land you have onto the battlefield and uh, Nissa activating all of them to be able to swing for lethal on a key turn is a really fun one that's come up a bunch of times. Usually it like doesn't matter, but there's a lot of spots where you just can't pass the turn back to your opponent and you need to find a way to win right. on the spot. Uh, yeah, with, with no life gain, that comes up a lot. Yep, for sure. Yeah, uh Aethergust is just so, so good. And there are so many uh, green and red decks in the format that I I really want to be playing for. But I do think that if Mono Red is going to have some amount of presence, you need a couple Cerulean Drakes. Mm-hmm. And I know that people have not been super happy with that card because like Frenzy goes over the top of it. It doesn't like stop everything. But I think that it is so good as a defensive tool that you really want some copies. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, it's either that or just like a pile of spot removal and Simic doesn't really have that luxury. So right. a couple of fries, I think is fine for Esper and feather and, you know, mono blue, whatever sort of spirit stack shows up. And then uh, what have, what have your experiences been like with veil of summer? So I don't have any copies in my list right now, just because I don't think that's what you're trying to set up with elementals per se. Like it's best when you have resources you care about protecting and are kind of a critical mass deck. So I think it's insane out of the Simic Nexus decks. It's exactly what those decks want uh, in terms of both forcing through your Nexus and dealing with thought erasure proactively. When it comes to the team or flood decks, I'll just play Risen Reef and like I'll find card advantage in other places or I'll draw cards from Omnath or I'll rebuy things with Tamiyo. There's so much card advantage packed into this pretty aggressive mid-range deck that I haven't felt the need to go to Veil. But as a card, card's really, really good. And it's not just a standard card either. Like This card's reaching back into modern and legacy pretty cleanly. Yeah, yeah, this is... I don't know, guttural response and whatever the other version of this card that was effectively the same thing, but just didn't cantrip. Like it's Autumn's Veil, I guess. This is what that card always wanted to be. Yeah. And it's it's like fluster storm against storm. Like it, it just, it's incredibly wide uses are kind of unbelievable and exciting card as you go further and further back. I'm sure we'll talk more about its applications as we come to some of the other decks that leverage it a little bit better than something like Team or Flood. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm playing a, a couple copies right now and I think it's fine because of things like Thought Erasure and Mono Blue and like you're talking about, you know, Risen Reef and all the engine pieces you have, but it's also nice to have like a cheap card that also protects your engine, right? Sure, sure. I, I mean, I could see playing it. I just, there's so many decks you want to account for right now in this state that I've had a hard time narrowing down my sideboard and figuring out exactly what I want. Because there's cards that are in, not in my sideboard right now that I think are tremendous in the format. Again, going back right. to Ceratops, going back to Cerulean Drake, all these cards, which I would happily have copies of, just got to draw the line somewhere though. And I, I guess I'm slanting towards matchups, which I feel are particularly bad at this point. Yeah, and that certainly makes sense. I So what I would do with your deck is look at the Cinder Vines and Legion War Bosses and try and find slots that, or cards that could fit in those slots that are 
just better against more decks, like a little bit more versatile because those are the cards in your sideboard that seem super narrow. Mm -hmm. But that's about it. And maybe if you can't come up with a plan to beat Nexus outside of those cards, then yeah, I could understand it. But I don't know. I, I I felt like I've been okay against Nexus. Okay. We'll also see how much we have to worry about Nexus going forward. I honestly think my level of Nexus fear is a little higher than most people, partially because I tend to be very high on that deck and I know what it's capable of when it's not being respected, but also because a lot of the people I talk to on a regular basis about magic and the people who I get information from are also very high in the deck. So if I create a bubble where Nexus is this big problem, then you can understand why I may want to over account for Nexus. It's a good lesson about maybe checking biases. And if you think I have bias here, go ahead and make changes. You're not locked into my 75. I definitely encourage you to explore other sideboard cards because like I said, there were a bunch I left out that I really wanted access to. Yeah. So uh, great overall for Team or Flood. I, I would give it like an A minus. I think that it is very good. It's one of the decks that has been tuned, I think, the most because a lot of different people have been working on it. And I do think that it has some inherent weaknesses, like Nexus is definitely one. Not having access to spot removal is another. Not having any life gain is one. But overall, very solid deck. And if you force me to register for the tournament, like today, that's what I would play. Uh, It would be one of my top three. I'll I'll tell you that much. There's many, many good decks in this format. We're going to talk about them all. But we we talked about our grades beforehand. And it's an interesting spot where we don't really have strongly contrasting opinions. We've mostly reached the same conclusions on these decks. So when you present these grades, they speak for both of us. A minus on Team or Flood for sure. Cool. Uh, So moving on, we have Esper. This is a deck I haven't seen a ton of. It's kind of weird just because it it was the most popular deck last format and Hero Precinct 1 or No was still a question that didn't really fully get answered. I think a lot of people ended up going in the No camp towards the end of the season. Uh, One of the reasons maybe that Esper is not showing up a ton right now, at least on Arena, is because it got very few new cards. Like Temple of Silence is definitely nice. It definitely helps. It gets some of the... Color hosers in the sideboard that we talked about, like Aether Gust and Cerulean Drake, and those are definitely nice. But there are also things like Veil of Summer and Shifting Ceratops and Fry that are just very good against this deck. So based on all of those factors, where do you see Esper fitting in? So I've played a bunch of Esper, actually, because my theory was that Esper could actually find itself in a fairly strong position I was looking for decks with sweepers to control these battlefield present screen decks. If you're playing 12 Llanowar Elves, someone has to punish you at some point, right? And no deck is better suited to do that than Esper. Uh, And I have been playing the control variant. And it really looks like a deck from five months ago that I'm currently playing. It's just search for Ascanta is back. Bunch of Planeswalkers, some sweepers, some spot removal, Thought Erasure, Pretty much exactly what you would expect out of a very stock Esper deck. And my results have been very good. Very promising. You can grind with the elemental decks and the matchup's close and it's interesting. But in general, I've come out ahead. Now, if these decks were to shift to four veils, maybe things get more problematic and you can't leverage your thought erasures. Or if they just have a ton of Tamios and you lose access to your thought erasures, these things all change the matchup pretty significantly. But just from a... X's and O's perspective, 
I think Wraths are very good right now. And I think Counter Magic is very good right now too, to the point where I'm playing Absorb again, which is a card which I had basically sworn off as unplayable given the presence of Teferi. But there's almost no Teferi right now, which is pretty shocking, honestly. Yeah, uh, it looks like Simic is the color combination that got the most, or at least has like the critical mass to incentivize a bunch of different people to actually experiment with different shells. And before that was sort of like Azorius or Esper, and that just ended up with a lot of people playing Teferi, and we don't really have that right now. Yeah, I think we could, quite frankly. I, I do think the Esper control deck is very good. I've been impressed with the results. It has some of the same flaws it always had. The mana base didn't get any better. Uh, You're still hoping you draw your colored sources in a reasonable progression and can play all your spells on time and your deck's pretty clunky and there's now very good sideboard cards against you in the form of things like Ceratops. Although, honestly, Ceratops is pretty easily accounted for out of the Esper decks. You just get some good spot removal. D-Spark is a card I'm quite high on right now. Cast Down is another card, which is creeping back into my uh, decks in large numbers. So I I think there are appropriate modifications you can make to account for those cards, but you still have to overcome your deck to some extent. And from a structural standpoint, the same flaw is there. High curve, high mana requirements, that's never going away. So you're giving up a little bit of agency, hoping your spells come together in the right order. But I think the power level is there to justify Esper as a solid choice for this week. Cool. So overall B plus, I think mm-hmm. is kind of where we landed on this. And I I like Hero of Precinct 1 in a vacuum. But given the way that things are now, where Ceratops kind of forces you to play cast down instead of something like Tyrant Scorn, like granted, like Hero can maybe take care of a Ceratops on its own. But yeah, I, I like the more controlling direction that you've brought the deck into. I, I like the return of some amount of Absorb. Search for Kanta seems fine if there's not a lot of Teferis. So like, I'm actually on board with Esper Control instead of Esper Hero. Yeah, one of the problems with Hero, I think, is... So Hero was the effective Snowball deck before. Like It was the deck that could leverage small advantages and basically just reach this unassailable point in the late game. And the Elementals decks or the Risen Reef decks do such a better job of that in every conceivable way right now that it's really hard to convince me that's the approach you want to take. You need to be able to compete with their scaling, with their size, with their almost inevitability. Like I don't know if I want to go as far as calling them an inevitability deck, but they do have cards which scale extremely well into the late game in the form of Omnath and even six mana Chandra is a card which I think bears paying attention to although hasn't been as hasn't been as big a problem as i thought it was going to be quite frankly you find a way to gust it off the battlefield and grab it with a thought erasure it it seems like it should just be a death knell for control decks it's really not you can play around it pretty effectively and that has surprised me but still a card you have to account for and i think control does a better job of that than hero yeah d spark's wonderful Uh, i i agree that hero just kind of gets pushed over the top of by like a lot of these decks and you really want access to Caius Wrath. So um, I'm just kind of off it at this point. I'm with you. Next deck, we are going to talk about Feather, which seemed kind of like a meme, but is actually just very, very good, mostly thanks to God's Willing. God's Willing and the Temple is, I mean, this deck had mana issues before. It also had finding the right card issues and Temple step up to deal with both those issues simultaneously. But yeah, God's Willing, another huge upgrade. This deck is good. 
And I think it's good for a reason people don't understand because you look at the cards that are present in this deck and you're like, oh, it's heroic. It's an attacking deck. It's kind of this stupid combo deck. I actually think this deck is Grixis. And I realize that doesn't make a whole lot of sense when I say it at first. So let me explain. There's no other deck in the format that can just play a bunch of cheap removal, generate a little bit of card advantage, and then slam a big threat and close the door the way Grixis used to. The way it used to go spot removal, spot removal, Bolus, or even if you want to go back further than that, spot removal, spot removal, Scarab God, there's nothing you can do. Well, Boros Feather has a lot of that same type of play pattern to it. It's one of the only decks, I think, that has multiple one mana removal spells presently. It's got usually three shocks, three to four shocks, and then three to four Reckless Rage as well. So very cheap, very efficient removal at a time when picking off mana dorks is exactly how you want to go after all these Simic teamer decks floating around. And there's a little bit of a clock there too. So you're not just cold against something like Nexus, which needs a little bit of time to set up. I don't think the matchup's good, but you're not cold. That's what matters. So I'm actually super high on Feather right now. Probably my most winning deck on ladder. And I don't, I'm don't. i not just sitting with it just because I want to explore absolutely everything. But I play a couple games with it at least every day. And my win rates are very, very good right now. Yeah, same. The, the reason why I haven't been playing a ton of it is pretty similar to you where I want to explore different things. And also the games just take a while, like a lot of the games do. And like, there's a lot of minutia and clicking because mm-hmm. just half your deck is one mana spells, you know? So you're casting like multiple spells on every turn. And there's like weird timing issue stuff where if you want to activate feather on their turn, you have to set a stop and blah, blah, blah. So it's just, it's like, it's just too much for me. I'm old. I don't know. <laughs> can't handle it yeah it's it's i've i found myself even though like my win rate with like dinosaurs is much lower i'm just like yeah let's queue up dinosaurs instead of feather nice in your old age you've just taken the easy aggro way out i I mean i agree with you feather is a surprisingly intricate deck so many timing restrictions so many decisions on every turn exactly what spell to use i often am just sitting there considering every possible card in my opponent's deck and what they could have on the next turn and building out multiple turns in advance and calculating my clock. And next thing I know, I'm about to rope with this quote unquote aggro deck on turn three. So it's like I've already reached these incredible decision thresholds. But if you're willing to put in the work, you're willing to really understand this archetype. It's real. I mean, I, I would put this deck in tier one right now. I think it's one of the better decks in the format. I don't know how high the adoption rate is because I don't know if the mental scape of everyone has turned around yet where they're starting to believe in feather we'll have to see when it comes to worcester because it's also a very cheap deck to pick up too which i i don't think you oh should yeah underestimate especially when it comes to week one of a format where people are still adjusting yeah no deck is definitely very good i agree that there is a huge misnomer in place where this is just a mindless aggro deck and honestly i think a lot of people are building it that way right where like the the Naya versions, for example, have like Rule Spellbreaker and Giant Growth and Collision right. Colossus. And it's don't just like, it. no, don't do not do that. Play Shock yeah. instead. Play <laughs> play like some threats that can also play defense. And your your Boros deck can function like a mid-range deck, like a control deck in a lot of matchups. So I like this deck a lot. I, I think it's an A-. I think it's in, solidly in Tier 1. 
I think the green splash fundamentally misunderstands what this deck is about. And I haven't seen any versions that splash green that I think make the deck better in any appreciable way. So stay away from that for the time being. Don't get drawn in by the Naya mana base. Enjoy that beautiful, clean Boros mana base and all your temples and having the right mana all the time and always casting your feathers when you need to. Notice I didn't say on turn three because that's another thing is you often don't want to cast your spells when you can with this deck and you have to consider that point as well. So uh, enjoy your exploration of feather, but I agree, tier one deck, A minus spot on. Hell yeah. All right, next up we have Nexus. Uh, Which build of this deck do you like right now? Because there's like... The the traditional search for Escanta, Tamiya, Wilderness Reclamation stuff. And then there's one that just played Nexus, like effectively in the Flood of Tears slot in Simic. Yeah. So I don't have a lot of experience with that version yet in the past. And I'm talking last format, essentially. Anytime I was doing these half aggro, half Nexus setups, I really hated it. I, I didn't care for the versions that were like playing Nissa, a ton of Nissa's main and trying to find. Uh, aggression that way it just felt like you were really inhibiting your main nexus plan to do this other stuff and if you have to do the other stuff i think the deck just isn't good but in this case with the addition of cards that are both attackers and engine cards and i'm talking about risen reef cavalier of thorns decks that just give you a clock while advancing you to your nexus end state i think they're a lot more promising but again I don't want to go that direction unless you sh- you give me a reason why I can't just play pure Simic. And I think going back for a while now, maybe two sets ago, uh, this is the best pure Simic has looked in a very long time, mostly because of some really good sideboard options. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, if there was a deck or a color combination that needed these sideboard cards, it, it, it was Simic for sure. And I think that Nexus gets to fill a lot of gaps in its sideboard where previously it just had to play like a bunch of bad cards for yeah. the most part. But yeah, the, the creature stuff, like having Cavalier of Thorns and the Mana Dorks and Risen Reef and stuff, I think those sorts of things are slightly better against uh, like Mono Red and Esper decks that I are either going to go under you and you need some blockers or are so good at just like making sure that you never resolve uh, an engine piece, basically. Like Esper has a bunch of thought erasures and D sparks and maybe counter spells and stuff like that. And at that point, maybe you do need to lean on Plan B. But yeah, I, I agree with you. Like for right now, we don't we don't really know the answer to that. Yeah, and I just think you can fix those problems in your post board games with the addition of Veil and you know any of the myriad options you have against control now that you didn't have previously, or even when you get to something like the mono blue matchup and you could do something like. Uh, shifting ceratops there's just more options than you had previously for post-board games and that's really where a lot of your problems came up when they had adjusted their deck gotten rid of dead removal spells gotten effective threats against you that's when nexus would really start to struggle we also mentioned too teferi seemingly at an all-time low that was the problem card for nexus more than anything else playing against teferi was an absolute nightmare to a lesser extent narsa as well and just not seeing a lot of either of those cards presently yeah, it's true. It does make things a lot easier. But overall, you it's not it doesn't sound like it's a slam dunk for Nexus for you this week. No, it's not. It's not. And I wish I could put my finger 
on exactly why. I, I guess I just have been burned in the past by Nexus and believing that we had found the final setup and things were finally in our favor. I do think there is a possibility of an Esper resurgence coming into this event. I could see, especially amongst top players, just thinking they have tuned their Esper list appropriately and realizing nobody is really accounting for Teferi right now and pushing really hard on that axis again. If Esper is underrepresented on ladder presently, it will be overrepresented at SCG Worcester. Now, that doesn't mean it's 20% of the field or anything ridiculous, but there will be more of it than you would expect given previous information. And while the matchup feels good right now for Simic, we mentioned a lot of the cards they've added. I feel like those are pre-contemplation of Nexus. Like there's a moment in time where you can play Nexus on ladder and nobody has adopted their anti-Nexus measures yet. And that moment was maybe the start of this week. And as we get later into this week, and like I said, I started facing a bunch of Nexus on the ladder. So I made changes to my team or elemental decks. And once those free wins start creeping away, and then you start having to grind through really hateful setups like Esper, it just becomes much less of a slam dunk choice. I think it's a solid choice, but I just want to know a little bit more about the metagame before I'm committing to Nexus. Yeah, fair enough. So overall, B, B plus, somewhere in there? Yeah, B plus for me. I, I, I don't hate anyone who chooses to bring Nexus this week. You might find a better spot for it a little bit later on in the format, as was proven true with the last format where we went to week one. Nexus was absolutely obliterated, basically off the face of the earth, and you didn't see Nexus again for the entire format. And then in the dying days it steps up and wins a mythic championship. So uh, there may be some of that same pattern here as well. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, all right, let's talk about mono red aggro. Is this deck dead? Dead is a harsh indictment, but I do not expect what we saw in week one of the last format. And you, I hope you hear the fear and trepidation in my voice as I make that statement because every time we're like, oh, I don't know about Monored, but this time does feel a little different. I think green decks have mostly found very good setups against Monored. The addition of Cavalier of Thorns is a huge, huge thorn in their side. It's so Five, big. Six. It's, it's just tremendous. And if you invest the resources into dealing with Cavalier of Thorns, there's probably a really good option already sitting in the graveyard. Like, oh, I don't know, maybe another Cavalier of Thorns that they'll just put on top and you'll have to answer in the next turn anyway. So uh, that problem continues to exist. Every single blue deck got solid options against Mono Red in the form of both Gust and Cerulean Drake. It's just what are you praying on at this point? Everyone got really good options against you, and Mono Red basically added nothing, right? Like, there's there's no uh, real pickups here. Fry, maybe, if you want that card. Yeah. Like, what are you really doing More now in Mono Red? I, I don't think you've really changed your deck in any meaningful way, and everyone has gotten better against you. No, you're just uh, a very good aggro deck. You have uh, a reasonable top end, which is kind of high variance because you need to draw experimental frenzy you need to draw four lands you need to have like the top of your deck be somewhat kind you know you can't hit like three mountains in a row that's disastrous but now basically everyone has things like aether gusts against you that are make it just trivial to deal with frenzy so mono red significantly got worse that is absolutely true i think 
that because mono red has trended down, people have mostly started cutting cerulean drakes from their sideboards, which mm-hmm. may or may not persist into Worcester. And then at that point, it's like, okay, maybe the field is a little bit more ripe for mono red. But at the same time, it's just like, even if people show up with like no hate whatsoever, they have incidental stuff that's good against you, like Aethergust and Cavalier of Thorns. So. I don't think this is a great choice. I think that if you want to play some sort of creature-based deck that's relatively aggressive, Feather is going to be much, much stronger. Totally agree. In terms of our big eight decks that we're targeting, I think this is the worst choice out of all of them. And I, I give this a fairly low grade going into Worcester. Yeah, C+. And that that is going to be the worst grade. Yep. So next up, we can talk about Mono Blue, which I think is actually quite good. And did get a decent amount of new cards. The one major talking point, I guess, is that Martin Juza used a Simic Flash deck to hit Mythic, which is effectively mono blue, but just splashes some double green cards in Frilled Mystic and Night Pack Ambusher. And Ambusher, in particular, is very good and does a lot of work towards making this deck have more palatable matchups against like green and red creature-based decks. But I still think it's worse than Mono Blue. Agree. And I, I think it's kind of like one of those instances where it's succeeding in spite of itself. And what it's revealing is just that playing this instance ble- speed flash game right now is a very good idea. Counter magic is very, very strong. And Mono Blue is already doing all of those things with zero inconsistency and a very effective plan against red and green decks right now with maybe the exception of one card. Of course, that card being shifting Ceratops. Uh, You get outs to that. If you play green, I'll certainly give you that, but I am loath to walk away from the beautiful 20 Island consistency of my mono blue deck. And also here's a moment to give props to spectral sailor. Because, man, is that card a house in the mono blue deck. Exactly what you want to be doing, not only playing at instant speed, but just being a source of card advantage in the late game. If you've played any large amount of mono blue, you know sometimes you just flood out and you would do anything for a reasonable mana sink. Well, now you have it, and it's also a 1-1 flyer with flash. Like, oh my goodness, what a pickup. I don't know how much you've played with the card. It's even more impressive in action than it is on paper. And... It's quite possible this should be the deck that we're talking about as the one that received the biggest upgrade in general. We talked about Simic decks getting the biggest sideboard upgrades. I think on the whole, Mono Blue actually did a lot in terms of both positioning and just card additions here. Again, Teferi seemingly at a low, and I'm finding plenty of ways to beat Blast Zone. It's not as big of a problem as it was previously. You also have Tail's End if you want to go that far to play against Blast Zone. And I actually think Tail's End is a fine card. I basically copied Autumn Burchette's list from their article. And I think they did a really nice job talking through all the cards they were considering. And one of the weirdo sideboard inclusions was a Tail's End. I've been so impressed with that card in practice. It's actually won me multiple games at this point. Okay, I have not played with that card. Yeah, uh, Spectral Sailor, the the one thing I think that is the biggest upgrade for this deck, for Spectral Sailor in particular, is the fact that it's just another pirate, which means Mm -hmm. that you can play Lookout's Dispersal. Mm -hmm. I think that that's huge. 
because now you have like enough wizards to play Wizards Resort and you have enough pirates to play Lookouts Dispersal and your counter suite is just kind of off the charts. And uh, Brineborn Cutthroat is another card that was also in Martin's deck and uh, is also a pirate and just like a reasonably good threat too. So uh, a lot of good adds. And we talked about how Simic had a pretty weak sideboard. Well, Mono Blue sideboard was not great either. And uh-huh. now it has actual cards that it wants to play. So, uh, yeah, this deck got upgrades basically everywhere, except for the fact that other people get to play Shifting Ceratops, which, you know, we kind of talked about. I, I don't think that people are going to be jamming four necessarily, and there's still Aether Gust to buy you a turn. I, I don't think it's the end of the world, and then... If you are able to buy that turn, there's maybe a turn down the line where you get to Entrancing Melody, one of their things to block, maybe even trade with Shifting Ceratops. So, are you interested in Transmogrifying Wand? Are you interested in Transmogrifying no. Wand at all? No, you just don't want to play I'm it. I'm not. It's it's so slow, so clunky, and I would just I would much rather have Melody as a whole. Interesting. I do have a copy of Wand in my deck presently. I'll be frank, I've never actually drawn it, I don't think, which isn't completely unreasonable. I mean, there's only one copy, so. But I also haven't faced that many Ceratops, and the few I have, I've been able to race pretty effectively and find ways yep. to beat it. It's a problem, and if Mono Blue were to become the most played deck, as it was a few months ago, I think jamming for Ceratops would probably put an end to that pretty quickly if every single yes. green deck was doing that. But that's not the case going into this weekend. I expect Ceratops to be down and because of that, I, I think this is the deck I'm most likely to play as it stands. If you force me to register a deck today, I do think it would be mono blue. It just has game against everything. And countering all your opponent's stuff is never going to be bad. I want to take advantage of Teferi being at a low. I think you have options in the Esper matchup and can potentially play through Teferi, even if that deck does get overrepresented. So I'm in. I, I, I'm a believer in Mono Blue. I think it's my best graded deck out of all of these. Yeah, solid A for me. Uh, it is weird that I say that I would play Teamer instead of this, but I think that Teamer is just like a more well-rounded deck and doesn't have as polarizing of matchups. And Okay. It's, it's just a bunch of like nonsense basically where like teamer makes me feel like I have more agency, which is probably just not even true. I, I highly recommend people if, if they have experience with mono blue to, to register that deck this weekend, I think it's going to do really well. Yeah. Good choice. Last couple decks. We got some tribal strategies, vampires, Soren, imperious Bloodlord, especially into champion of dusk is very, very good. However, the rest of the deck is actually quite medium. So uh, solid B for me. I think Vampires is solid. It is a fine choice, but I think you can find better things, even though Vampires does have kind of a unique angle. Yeah, just haven't found a list that really captures my attention. Soren, like you said, Slam Dunk, incredibly powerful card, but it's holding up a really bad supporting cast right now. And... When I think of how do I want to attack the format, it doesn't feel like Vampires checks any meaningful boxes. Like Even if I believe it to be a good, fine strategy, if I'm thinking about the format as a whole, what does it do better than anything else? What does it effectively target? What does it shut down from my opponents? 
I have no answers to any of those questions. It's just like, here's my creatures. I hope everything comes together and I get wide enough to beat you or I have a super aggressive draw and you don't do anything. But on a strictly, I guess, X's and O's standpoint, I, I just don't have points for playing vampires right now. I can't give you a reason why it's the good call. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it it doesn't get hit by any of the sideboard cards, which is kind of cool. But at the same time, like you're going to have a lot of trouble with Flood of Tears, with Kaya's Wrath, with maybe even like Nexus of Fate, because your deck's a little bit slower. You can't beat right. Fog necessarily. You only have Soren for Reach. Mono Red matchup is kind of tricky. Mono Blue doesn't seem like a very good matchup, although I haven't played either side of that matchup, oddly enough, despite playing both decks a decent amount. And yeah, it just, it doesn't seem great. I think that if there, if we were looking at some sort of like mid-rangey aggro deck, where we're just like, yeah, Jackal Pup is really good. And, you know, Soren is really good. Duress would be insane out of the sideboard. Like, yeah, this, this would be the deck, but that's not really what we want in this format currently. Yeah, agree. So again, this, this deck is, is fine. It has the potential to actually have a place in the metagame at some point. I just don't think it's right now. Yeah, we'll have to see how things evolve going forward, but pretty low on my list of week one choices. Uh, It just doesn't demand anything from your opponents. If your opponent plays their game plan, they can usually find outs. I don't think you have any really pointed matchups in your favor. It feels like maybe the 45% deck of the format. Yeah, so solid B, B minus somewhere in there. Last tribal deck, we have Dinosaurs. I I thought that this deck was just going to be a pile because, I don't know, like Ripjaw Raptor has been a reasonable sideboard card against Mono Red, but other than that, it has just completely underperformed every time I've tried it, and Marauding Raptors actually makes it good. It, It makes it more than just palatable. It makes it like an actively good card, and you have cards like the the three mana Domri and even Savage Stomp is fine. Like this this deck is actually completely reasonable. That said, you're like doing this beatdown plan thing that's like a little bit too slow for the format, and decks just end up going over the top few. And you don't necessarily play the the mid-range game all that well against opposing aggro decks. And you're like I said, you're just like a little on the slow side to beat things like mono blue, even if you do have a bunch of ceratops in your deck. So if I could just have like Marauding Raptor into Marauding Raptor every game, I would be super happy with this deck. So uh, there, there are aspects of this deck I really like. The versions which have more haste threats are appealing to me. I think haste is pretty good in the metagame right now. I also like removal and like i said it feels like no decks can play one mana removal this deck could also do the reckless rage thing it's not something i've seen a lot of but i think it's probably pretty reasonable here yeah however if you're set up in that fashion then you know you're playing a bunch of one mana removal spells like just go be feather feather is probably a better version of the mid-range type strategy so if dinosaurs is going to exceed it's going to exceed on its aggression and it's backed away from its aggression a bit. Something like Ripjaw Raptor, that's not an aggressive card. And you can understand why it wants to do things like this, but it's kind of leaving the deck without an identity right now. And again, the same questions I would ask of vampires, what exactly are you preying on as dinosaurs? I think you have a bunch of fine matchups, a bunch of fine cards, but I just don't think you're really beating up on anyone. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I agree completely with the feather assessment. If you want to be a mid-range aggressive deck, just play feather. It's so much better. And like the, the mana is better. Your mm-hmm. overall mana curve is better. Uh, you might have like less powerful cards in a vacuum, but it doesn't really matter because of all the, the cantrips and scrying and stuff that you do. Like feather typically is able to find what it needs. And uh, yeah, that deck is just actually good. Dinosaurs is fairly medium. I, I will say that the the mashup versions of dinosaurs and like normal gruel are a little bit better than playing like ranging raptors and commune with dinosaurs and stuff, but it's not that much of an upgrade. Okay. Yeah, I think being a mid-range deck without card advantage right now is just a fool's errand. Like, what are you really trying to achieve? You're going to get run over by the hyper-aggressive decks. You're going to get outground by the Elementals decks, the Risen Reefs decks. You can't do anything even resembling the scale of the stuff they can achieve. You're like, here's my 5-5. Five, five, and they're like, oh, cute, Omniscience. I'll put my entire deck into play. So that feels a little silly. From that, exp- that perspective, again, Dinosaurs needs to prey on something. And there's nothing out there that this deck is preying on right now. If there was more mono red in the format and you could set up around that and just like have a bunch of brick walls maybe you could sell me on this but passing for the time being keeping it in my back holster though i do think that raptor is a very impactful very powerful card for sure yeah so stack ranked mono blue teamer flood then feather yeah, I, I think that's where I'm at right now. And if I was showing up to Worcester, those would be the three decks I would be debating between to the last second. If you made me choose right now, I would play Mono Blue. Yeah, I think I think I'm coming around to that too. I, I wanted to say, gun to my head, I'd play Team or Flood, but it is probably worse. Sometimes you just have to take the cleanest, simplest approach. And Team or Floods, look, we said we figured it out. Maybe that's a little generous. There's still a lot of questions about that deck, about the exact right build. And maybe as those get sorted out, we'll finally understand exactly how it's supposed to be built. And then it can take over the format. But as it stands, Mono Blue, unquestionably good. I'd rather take the safe choice for this week. Yeah, fair enough. Well, those are our eight decks that we either would consider playing or that we think will show up in big numbers this weekend at SCG Worcester. We also have the Arena Decklist t-shirts coming out very, very soon. Those should be shipping within a week or two. So that is very exciting. I'm definitely going to be rocking one of those at basically every single tournament from here until the end of time. I can't wait to see other people rocking them. That's going to be awesome. Just seeing our t-shirt out in the wild at events. You'll instantly get a high five from me. I promise. (laughs) Yeah, I can. I can also uh, offer the same deal. Nice. Free high fives for life. But yeah, uh, every week we solicit the fine people in our Discord for questions. We pick our favorite question every week. And the winner is now going to get an Arena Deckless pin to be found nowhere else. This is the only place where you can get an Arena Deckless pin. And the question we picked this week comes from Snook. And Snook asks, what is the best way to attack Risen Reef decks in New Standard is it absurd to play a card like Takali Honor Guard in your vampire sideboard? And the second part of the question is, no, it is not absurd. However, I do think that this is really important because there is a lot of hype surrounding Risen Reef and 
the engine that it provides and the decks that it goes into. And there's not really a clean way to answer it just like on a one for one basis. And I think that that is important. And I think that you need to then figure out how you are going to beat decks that contain this card rather than trying to interact with these specific cards. And we kind of talked about this on the podcast, just like framing it in ways where like this deck has a reasonable matchup against this and so on and so forth. But but yeah, recently I I just think it is you play a deck that is good against that sort of strategy. Yeah. It's a difficult question to answer. That's, that's one of the big problems here. And I think Snook is pretty much spot on to Kotli honor guard. One of the cleanest ways to do so. And certainly seeing a resurgence in that card, we talked about feather feather is a deck that leverages that card very, very well. Also seeing Boros Angels type setups. Uh, I know X-File was playing Boros Angels to a lot of success over on Magic Online. So Takatli Guard, a good spot, a good pickup for sure. And then in your Vampire sideboard, I mean, obviously you're off the Champion of Dusk plan, which is probably fine for your deck. You can probably bear that in a lot of matchups. But you're right that there's just no cards that have ever going to efficiently answer Risen Reef. That's why it's so good. Anything that removes it from the battlefield is almost certainly doing so at a loss. I, in my Team or Elementals deck, played Chandra's Pyro Helix because it's one of the few ways I could find to kill a Risen Reef, hopefully get a Paradise Druid or a Llanowar Elf or, you know, maybe a low loyalty Planeswalker. All of these are the dream scenario, which in most cases aren't going to work out. And if I thought they were, I would just play something like Dual Shot and do so at a mana less. But the concession to Chandra's Pyre Helix is about having flexibility because there are going to be two toughness creatures I'm happy to kill at two mana as well. And I can't just hard target Risen Reef. Like if I were, I would be playing Dual Shot and I would be losing so many games because it's not accounting for the other problems in the format and not accounting for what else that deck can do killing something like an incubation druid in response to its activation can be just as game winning as removing the risen reef from the battlefield and that's the only card i'm concerned about i'm kind of losing the forest for the trees and not understanding what's actually impossible or what's actually important in the format and targeting the broader strategies the go big type strategies that risen reef enables right i mean even in the case of chandra's pyro helix like if they go Llanowar off into Risen Reef and you Pyro Helix, you're on parity. Yeah, you know? it's problematic for sure. They've already gotten a card out of the deal. That's why you need to play strategies that are good against them. Like, you know, be trying to set up like a, a 10-10 10th District Legionnaire or whatever and God's willing it for green and like get in for lethal, right? Like that is a way to actually beat them not trying to actually deal with their cards on a one-for-one basis. And Dekatli Honor Guard is fine, and it's mostly fine because there are other ETB triggers in the deck that Honor Guard stops. And for the most part, if you shut down their engine, like hopefully your strategy is also trying to do something that also interacts with them, you know, that that ignores the rest of whatever else they're trying to do or whatever. And I, I don't like the idea of, you know, like, I guess I have to shock it every time. You're like, that is just a losing proposition every single time because you're down on mana and they've already got the advantage out of it. So look at things like Feather or Nexus or Mono Red, Mono Blue, and just not care. That's yeah. the best way you can approach things. No, and it's it's such a clear example of why we're high on both Feather and Mono Blue because in Feather, you're, you have spot removal that at some point becomes infinite. 
and you just don't run out of spot removal anymore. So you're happy to trade it off in the early game and you can make that trade at a loss and use that to mitigate Risen Reef. And like you said, just get real big, real fast and end the game. And in something like Mono Blue, you can prevent it from ever entering the battlefield. And you're just sidestepping this sub game completely. And that's the way you want to deal with Risen Reef. Just basically don't have time for its bullshit. Don't participate in these Risen Reef games and get away from it in the most efficient way your deck can. And Feather and Mono Blue, two extremely clear examples of accomplishing that. Yes, exactly. Mono Blue for life. That's game. Good luck.